1: This is Kincaid and Breckenridge, exclusively on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. I'm Roger. That's Rob. Cruising into the weekend, talking about beer, because uh, there's been some, some really strange beer news in this country of ours. I mean, look... Beer is like one of these great gifts that God gave us by way of the Egyptians several thousand years ago, Rob. And we still manage to get together every Friday afternoon around a couple of pints to yes. uh, you know, toast the week that was.
2: Well, beer is as old as the world itself, apparently. The universe itself. I think it's about five or 6,000 years old. <laughs> uh, and uh, yet here we are uh, today still talking about it. Now, people might recall back in 1867, and we're putting the Constitution
1: together. Right. Yeah. Well, what do we want this this a, country to look like? There's a great beer named after that, by the way, called Molson 67.
2: Well, maybe we need to launch a new beer, and we'll call it Section 121. Ooh, how sounds... about Section 121 of the Constitution Act says that articles of growth, produce, or manufacture of any province shall be admitted free into other provinces. Uh, that has taken to to mean, you know, tariffs, uh, other other barriers to trade. And it's interesting because today a judge has decided that that Section 121 renders unconstitutional the rules in New Brunswick, which limit the amount of beer, or really alcohol, any kind of alcohol for that matter, uh, that can go from province to province. Uh, There's a fellow in in New Brunswick who brought back, I think it was 14 cases of beer and a few bottles of of hooch from uh, Quebec into Nova Scotia and was uh, caught in a sting. They were arresting people even who had five cases of beer in their vehicle and they were simply they had bought it legally in quebec and were bringing it home to new brunswick Uh, i'm sure they were probably buying other stuff on their shopping trips in quebec but uh alcohol is what got them in trouble so the judge dismissed the charges today saying that that uh, those rules are unconstitutional
1: all right let's bring our guest into this derek james from who's been uh, uh following this story and uh we certainly talked to him about it in the past uh derek is a lawyer with the canadian constitution foundation hey welcome back to the program
3: no, thank you very much. Great opportunity to talk about this today.
1: Yeah, I think this is kind of the ruling that, that any uh, beer drinker might have wanted to uh, uh, to see come out of this. And we're going to bring this, I mean, for people who are wondering why we're talking about a new Brunswick court yeah. case, we're going to bring it back to Alberta because Alberta's got some interesting laws that uh, we want to know if might be challenged. But, but Derek, give us a synopsis of, of the ruling today.
3: Okay, well... I have to I have to warn everyone. I'm a little discombobulated, and I've had too much coffee, and I'm very excited. So I'm going to make make far <laughs> no, less no sense than thing. I normally make. <laughs> but this is this is really exciting stuff. We had we had hoped to win this case, obviously, but uh, it's always a wonderful surprise when uh, when the decision comes down in your favor. And what we were arguing uh, on behalf of Mr. Como and and our pro bono counsel that was helping us out um, was that uh, the importation limit. In New Brunswick law, that prohibited people from bringing more than, I think it was, I remember it's 12 pints of beer can't be brought across the border, unless it's been purchased on behalf of the government monopoly. And as soon as you exceed that, then you're liable for fines. And so what Mr. Como had done was, like many of his fellow New Brunswickers, he crossed a border into Quebec. And, he, and if you look at the town where he lives, it, it's its just a stone throw away. He would cross into Quebec, purchase liquor there, and bring it back. Now, why did he do this? It was just far, far cheaper in Quebec. Far cheaper. And so he was basically, you know, being a good consumer, finding a better price, and doing something perfectly legal. Canadians are allowed to actually purchase liquor. But as soon as he crossed the border back into his home province, he was a you know a scofflaw, a lawbreaker. And the police found this so important that they had actually set up a sting operation on the bridge the night Mr. Como was, uh, or was uh, charged with breaking this law. And some other 14 or so individuals were similarly caught. And uh, so what, what was happening is the police were going into Quebec, observing New Brunswick license plates in the parking lot of Quebec uh, liquor stores, and then watching as the people came across the border back into New Brunswick and arresting them confiscating their beer and fining them. And so what's happened now is uh, we argued at, in court that this provision in New Brunswick law violated the Constitution. It was the provision that Rob just uh, mentioned, Section 121. And that, that section has, been, has, a, has kind of a bad history. It's not been much used, and it's been poorly understood, and governments have basically gotten away with ignoring it even though it is the law in Canada. So what's happened today is the court in New Brunswick has hit the reset switch and said, no, the Canadian Constitution matters. Governments can't do whatever they want. They have to actually follow the rules, too. And so this is a great vindication for the rights of Canadians.
2: Well, it's interesting because there are laws, and, and I think that... If I'm not mistaken, some of these are federal laws that involve uh, taking wine from province to province, that even technically it would be illegal to bring B.C. wine uh, to your home in Alberta. So that, that that would seem to fall under the same general principle here. But do, do, are we talking about different jurisdictions? There's federal laws, there's provincial laws?
3: Yeah. Now, in this, what you're referring to for the federal law is what is called the IILA, or the Importation of Intoxicating Liquors Act. And you're right, it's a federal law, and it's the law that delegates authority to provincial governments to enact laws regarding the importation of liquor. Because provinces, it's not necessarily within their jurisdiction to control the flow of goods across their borders. So what the federal government did was, way back, early on, post-prohibition era, they enacted this IILA that gave the authority to enact these laws to the provinces. Now, what we've done in this case is we did not challenge the federal law. What we did is we actually challenged the provincial law because, as Section 121 of the Constitution says, no level of government in Canada can erect barriers to trade on the articles of growth, manufacture, and produce. Liquor being one of those things, it cannot be imposed, or there are no, no trade barriers can be imposed by the government, any level of government. So the IILA now may be vulnerable to attack, but it is not what was challenged in this case. I see.
2: Now, Roger, you, you'd alluded to this. I mean, we, we've had conversation about the uh, rules that the Alberta government has put in place uh, for uh, craft beer in particular, coming from outside. Well, not just, I guess, technically outside of the New West Partnership trade area, which may soon yeah. include Manitoba. But uh, we're, yeah. we're not. It's not as though it's illegal to bring that beer into Alberta, but there's for all intents and purposes, a, a tariff on that beer. Does yep. does does that fall under this? Uh,
3: that That is going to be litigated this summer. And I, I would like to, you know, I haven't read the decision out of New Brunswick yet. That has not been provided to me. Yet. Sadly, I've just been following the tweets of journalists who were attending the court. Nothing wrong with that. That's a good practice. No, <laughs> but uh, I, I would be able to answer that question uh, more specifically and not speak generally about it if I actually had read the decision which uh just too new right now. Mm-hmm. But uh my my initial thought is yes that it will be relevant because you know what New Brunswick did <clears throat> is they uh they didn't really erect a barrier to trade per se intentionally it wasn't specifically that. What they did was they they imposed uh a penalty for importing. And so they might have been able to say wow you know it's just it's a moral thing. Or what they actually did argue is Look, we have a monopoly in this province, and if we allow people who are out of province to buy liquor, we're losing money in the province. Mm-hmm. Of course, the court saw through these arguments, but now here in Alberta, the difference is that this tax is imposed purely for the reason of keeping trade repressed or suppressed. so I think it's even in a worse position than the New Brunswick law was, and I just I, I think it would be. Foolish for the Alberta government not to get rid of this now because, you know, really what it's going to do is just go to litigation, cost, cost taxpayers a whole lot of money, and then the end result, I think, is far more certain than it was before.
1: You know, one of the issues with the uh, the Alberta laws, Derek, is that it's it seems to be a reaction, a response, and, and from some of the beer makers that we talked to, it's a response to what's going on in Ontario that's preventing Alberta beers from getting on the shelf over there. Uh, I, you know, I know we don't have you on the air as an expert in the you know beer sales uh, in in Ontario, but it, it seems to me out there that it's it's this uh, uh, kind of conglomerate of beer companies where you've got what was supposed to be Sleeman, Molson, and Labatt selling all the beer in the province. Is there a difference if it's the government that sets up the trade barrier and if it's a private corporation that sets up uh, what is effectively a trade barrier?
3: Yeah, there, there would be a difference. Now, that's only the beer store. LCBO is what does all the purchasing on behalf of Ontario. So you could still get your product as an Alberta, bre- as an Alberta brewer. You can still get your product listed in the LCBO and avoid the beer store because it's the beer store that's really this horrible private industry body that is keeping other products out right and uh, if you can avoid that sort of retail uh outlet then you can avoid those sorts of problems but having said that you know there are there are other types of barriers that uh, provinces can impose not just financial barriers now what The distinction is, though, that the case law up until uh, today, if not uh, continuing today, is that Section 121 of the Constitution prevents financial barriers from uh, impeding trade across provincial borders. Now, if the LCBO is doing things like, uh, you know, charging fees that uh, you have to pay a whole lot or are really inconvenient for brewers from outside of Ontario to comply with, but those things are not directly financial penalties meant imposed to restrict trade, then it's different than the Alberta tax. The Alberta tax is really just made to keep people out. It's, it's trade protectionism in its baldest form. And the LCBO, I think, is more sophisticated than, uh, than that. What they've done is, you know, the barriers that are there are not of the same variety. And the variety that Alberta has erected, to me, Are very clearly unconstitutional. The LCBO's barriers. Well, I would like to see them declared unconstitutional, but it's a different species of barrier.
4: Right.
2: It's it is interesting when we were talking about this in the context of this whole flap over Earls, and you know the difference between wanting to support local businesses and enforcing businesses to change their their business practices or to put barriers up to, to um, what can be bought and sold by individuals or by businesses. Uh, free yeah. trade needs to matter. And I mean, it should matter for beef. It, it should matter for beer as well. Is there a difference, though, between saying, OK, look, here's, here's a policy we want to put in place to encourage more of this kind of a business in, in our area or to give local businesses a, a leg up as opposed to putting barriers in place to keeping stuff out?
3: Yeah, you know, I think there is a difference. And legally speaking, there's a difference. So now this, is, <laughs> this won't work for other reasons, but one of the things that the Alberta government could have done to encourage the local industry is provide tax incentives or subsidies something like that, that wouldn't have, in my opinion right now, anyway, that wouldn't have violated this provision of the Constitution. Now, there are other reasons they can't do that, and those are trade agreements that exist in Canada and international agreements that exist. You can't just go around, uh, based upon these these trade agreements that the Alberta government has signed, they can't do that either. But uh, there's no nothing in the Constitution itself, I don't believe, that would prevent them from... Taking a different route to protect the local industry,
1: Derek. There's uh, some some people might look at this ruling and say, like, if you're if you're going back to the Constitution to interpret it, I mean, we're talking about a document that's what almost 150 years old now, uh, and it, and it might have like a whaling in Nebraska kind <laughs> of you know effect, right? Like that's a law that's on the books in Nebraska. But yeah. uh, do, do we have any sort of can we? Estimate what the insight that these individuals had when they drafted this uh, constitution way back when was. Like, did they foresee stuff like this? And is this the kind of thing they were talking about?
3: Yeah. You know what? It's, it's very interesting. Our our pro bono team, uh, lawyers that uh, represented Mr. Como on our behalf, Michael Bernard. You were pro bono uh, for Como? (laughs) Yeah, pro bono for Como. Great hashtag. Yeah, that works great. Of course, uh, I think I'm saying his name wrong. It's Como, I believe. But uh, close enough. I'm I'm an Anglophone. Um, But uh, Michael uh, Bernard, Ian Blue, and Arnold Schweisberg, they did a lot of uh, digging into the past and found just exactly what you're saying, that the people who were framing our Constitution, they actually did have foresee situations like this. But of course, it wasn't, uh, the concern at that time wasn't beer crossing the border in uh, someone's, uh, you know, someone's car in the trunk going from Quebec to New Brunswick. They were actually, strangely, worried about unifying Canada and creating an economic free trade zone within Canada because as I think we all still know today, there's a lot of trade that flows north and south. And at the time in 1867, they were very worried that uh, the, uh, the bonds of trade north and south were stronger than those east and west. And so what they did in the Constitution was they stripped away these barriers so that Canada could be more unified and you know in, in, in the face of uh, an American threat. and it was to build this economic free trade zone in Canada that uh, you know binded the country together in a way that it hadn't been at that point so this this was exactly the sort of thing that they were anticipating not this particular issue but this this type of issue exactly and it was to build a unified country and to make it so that an entrepreneur in one portion of the country could benefit from their property and their work uh by selling it to other people within the country and not having these barriers that would make it easier for them to go to the united states with their products
2: well, this may end up at uh, the Supreme Court, though. Do you think?
3: Uh, well, we do know it's going to be appealed. Um, this was only a provincial court decision, right? And uh, the judge, the judge did a very thorough job, from my understand. He was very attentive and, and uh, took his job very, very seriously. And all parties were very happy with his work. So right. normally, that would mean we're appealed to the first level of court now in New Brunswick, the, which I believe is their Superior Court and then go to the Court of Appeal, and then ultimately to the Supreme Court. But we've we've decided that we're going to go right to the Court of Appeal. So that will expedite this a little bit. And uh, I don't know yet what will happen, but I imagine that uh, the Crown will be appealing because there's a lot at stake for them. And off the top of my head, I imagine that many other provincial attorneys generals will start showing up and become very interested in this decision as well because the ramifications all across Canada are clear that if uh, if Section 121 doesn't allow provinces to impose import limits, then there's a lot that's going to be uh, <clears throat> a lot a lot of implications for other provinces as well.
2: All right. More at theccf.ca. Derek, thanks for joining us here this morning. Appreciate it. Thank you. Derek uh, from with the Canadian Constitution Foundation. Uh, they were supporting Mr. Como in this case. Pro bono.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I shouldn't have brought it up. Sorry. That's
2: funny you caught that because now it seems so obvious in hindsight. <laughs>
1: we, all right, let's 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 take a break, and we'll continue this conversation afterwards. It's King Kate and Breaking Rich on News Talk 770.
5: There are lots of things that you can put off, like maybe cleaning your house or paying your taxes, but this isn't one of them. Good morning, I'm Angela Cocon, on location for the Foothills Hospital Home Lottery. Tonight at midnight, it is the absolute final deadline, so you can't delay. You have to go to the website, foothillshospitalhomelottery.com, buy your tickets for your one in 20 chance of winning over 7,500 prizes. Of course, there's this beautiful grand prize show home, Mahogany Island, that we are in, $2.4 million There is the villa in Canmore, and that's valued at $1.3 million. Both of them come with $50,000 cash, but you can also win vehicles. You can win trips, electronics. They've got everything covered here. However, you won't win if you don't have your ticket. And when you buy your ticket, you are supporting the Foothills Hospital and its efforts to build a new neonatal intensive care unit that will be bigger and better, and it'll be able to help 1,200 critical Babies every year. Make sure you get your ticket. Foothills Hospital, before midnight. Nine seven four eight
2: two five five. You can text us 770-770 So this will be interesting, and, and we touched on this a while ago. A steam Whistle already won an injunction in court uh, a while ago regarding Alberta's new new taxes. And I, I think this, this ruling is going to have some bearing on what happens with this going forward. Now, as Derek Frum mentioned, the, uh, the, the ruling in, in New Brunswick is likely to be uh, appealed, and maybe this will end up before the Supreme Court of Canada. But I think it's worth deciding, okay, does this Section 121 of the Constitution have meaning today? Is it relevant today? And if so, then why, why do we let these rules stand? Why do we have any kind of provincial trade barriers? We're a nation. Uh, and and it's so, it's it's most unfortunate. Um, you know, free trade is good, and I, I think we've come a long way in, in setting up trade agreements with other countries. Uh, but the fact that we still got the, these barriers within our own country, it's just it's bizarre and it's unfortunate. There's no need for it. The Alberta government wants to support support local brewers. Well, great, and there are ways to do that. But you know, taxing beer from outside. Alberta or outside the New West Partnership is, I I don't think, the right way to do that.
1: You know, I think there's also something to uh, to be questioned about the uh, use of, of uh, law enforcement resources in this regard. I mean, you know, are we, we're stinging, we're setting up sting operations now. We got Mounties hiding in the bushes to make sure that you're not bringing beer over the border from Quebec into New Brunswick. Yeah, It reminds me of the time Terry David Mulligan did that stunt where he, you know... Brought wine from B.C. Yeah, and he let everybody know, and he, <laughs> right. he pointed out, here's, <clears throat> here's what the law is, here's my wine, and I'm going to drive into Alberta on this route with this wine at this time. And he's trying to goad the RCMP, basically, into coming out and, and busting him for this agreement. Well, they weren't going to be embarrassed into doing so, and they, to the best of my knowledge, didn't have peep to say about it because they didn't want anything to do with the lunacy of this uh, particular media storm. But over on the other side of the country, it seems to be, I guess, some sort of a common practice to defend the tax coffers of New Brunswick by screwing the little guy who's just trying to save a few bucks on a 24-pack of Molson.
2: Yeah, again, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of an old adage in a lot of these debates, right? Don't the police have anything better to do? Um, but, you know, in this case, that just really seems like wh- what are you accomplishing, right? If you're protecting a certain business interest or you're protecting government revenues, is that really what we have the police to do? That, my goodness, the uh, provincial government might lose out on some tax revenue. Uh, all right, men, this is going to be our priority today. We need to protect not the public. We need to protect Provincial coffers, and so yeah, that's that seems so so offensive to me.
1: Well, yeah, it is, and and it, you know we we've heard stories about New Brunswick's uh, economic woes uh, in in recent months and oh, years. Sure. Yeah. And and look, this is just this is a great illustration. This is an an awesome teaching opportunity for the government of New Brunswick. Ask this question: Why are people driving past liquor stores in New Brunswick to get to the liquor store in Quebec to buy their beer? The, the answer, you know, there's only one answer on this Family Feud survey. It's because it's cheaper. And the thing that's making it more expensive in New Brunswick is the taxes. The product cost is the same for the for the beer. It's not there there's really no difference in the product cost in one province or the other. It's the fact that New Brunswick keeps a, a ton of taxes on top of it and that's what people are trying to get away from. If you'd like another example, Murray Edwards picks up moves to London, why? Taxes. So th- this is what we talk about when we say people will find ways To escape taxes. It's not tax evasion. It's tax avoidance. And New Brunswick could really learn a lesson here. That they could set their taxes a little bit lower than they've got them in Quebec. And guess what people might start doing? Driving to New Brunswick to buy their beer.
2: Let's get some phone calls in here. we got uh, Eric on the line. I think Eric's from New Brunswick. Eric, go ahead.
6: Hey, thanks, guys. You know what? I'm from New Brunswick. And I remember as a teenager going over to Baker Lake, which is uh, northern part of New Brunswick, near the... uh, Quebec border, and we used to go over and buy the uh, beer called Wildcat over there, Ah. and I can tell you there was, probably on a case, there was probably a good $15 difference, and um, yeah, but you have to remember, New Brunswick's flat on its ass, and so this is, uh, you know, this is is akin to us trying to bust those uh, illegal Chinese-made cigarettes here, you know, I mean, they are desperate for any penny of
2: well, but it's revenue. the same you know, it's the same thing, right? I mean, New Brunswick has a, a provincial sales tax, so if anybody from New Brunswick is buying groceries or buying clothes or even buying, like, a TV or a vehicle in Quebec, it's the same thing, right? New Brunswick's losing out on revenue, but you don't it have is. police stings for people who are buying TVs in Quebec.
6: No, no, no right? but you know what? If you'd ever, like, a lot of people also, I mean, I used to live in St. John, and a lot of people would go to St. Stephen and buy groceries because, you know, most of the border guards wouldn't charge you your uh, yeah. duties on the yeah, groceries, right. but... There is a lot of, especially when the dollar uh, gets up there, it becomes a real problem because of that uh, huge sales tax they have.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great phone call, Eric. Thanks so much for, and then it's just another il- illustration about how people will avoid uh, uh, paying paying taxes like that. You mm-hmm, go to, even yeah. go to like Vancouver, right? People in White Rock drive uh, over the border into uh, America to buy milk by the pallet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, there's YouTube videos of this happening, and it's also illegal, yeah, I believe. They're saving a ton of money.
2: All right, we're going to break for the ten thirty news. Kincaid and Breaking Ridge on News Talk seven seventy.
5: Good morning, I'm Angela Cocot on location for the Foothills Hospital Home Lottery. If you work well under deadlines, well then you'll want to know at midnight tonight is the absolute final deadline for the Foothills Hospital Home Lottery. Tomorrow, forget it, you'll be out of luck. No chance in winning one of the more than 7,500 prizes, including the beautiful grand prize show home on Mahogany Island or the villa in Canmore plus $50,000 cash with both of those homes. The Take 50 jackpot add-on is over $1.7 so your share would be over 850000 But more importantly, your ticket would help the Foothills Hospital in its goal of building a, an innovative, state-of-the-art, neonatal intensive care unit. It will be able to treat 1,200 of the most critical care babies every year. We are already well over 95% sold, so do not not delay. Go to Foothills homelottery.com before midnight.
1: Happy lunch. And it's Friday, too. Happy Friday lunch. Yeah, exactly. You know what yeah. I'm saying? No uh, no soup today. It's just a sandwich day. Grilled cheese. Um, mm. Hey, this is fun. We like it when we get to interview stand-up comedians. People who are coming to town, making the uh, the good people of Calgary laugh on a Friday night at the Laugh Shop.
2: And big names, too. We like that. Tom Arnold, a pretty big name. He's a star of uh, Big Screen, Small Screen. And uh, veteran stand-up. He's going to be performing this weekend at the Laugh Shop at the Blackfoot Inn. And, uh, boy, it's our pleasure to have him in studio with us here today. Tom Arnold, great to have you with us.
4: It's great to be here. You have a very clean studio. Well,
1: thank and you. we cleaned so up like a hospital. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, it's it's a hospital that lacks all of the machines of, of necessities. This is my first. This is, by the way, Tom Arnold. This is a, this is a big, uh, about a 12-year arc here. I saw Tom Arnold. In the underneath the porte cochère of the Sutton Place Hotel in Vancouver. And I said, Tom. And he looked at me and he smiled and waved because oh, he's boy. a nice guy. And <laughs> now on. here we are. What is That's the Port
4: cochère? What does that mean?
1: A, a friend of mine taught me that word, and I believe it is that. Uh, like that awning that, that you park under it's, when you're valeting why would you, your car.
4: Why would you just say awning? Because it's different, right? Like, <laughs> no, I didn't want I people guess. to think
1: that you are standing in front of a bakery. <laughs> okay,
4: okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah I spent
1: they a lot of time there. They needed to know there. that you were valeting your car.
4: I spent a lot of time there. Uh, so how are you doing? How's, how's life? Uh, life's good. Life's good. I uh, got a couple uh, little kids, and uh, I'm very old and uh, <laughs> with a couple of kids, so <laughs> working hard, Uh Try to, uh, you know, you got to work for a long time if you have a couple of kids.
1: Yeah. How, how old are the kids?
4: Well, my son is three. My daughter is four months. Oh wow. My goodness. Yeah. That is so. Yeah. So you know, when you have kids, you'll do anything to uh, support your children. As you know, uh, your 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 worldview changes quite a bit uh, on the things you will do. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this gently, because I assume this is the type of show where you uh, this is uh, people. Listen. This is not a uh, satellite uh, type show. That's correct. Yeah. But uh, there's a in Los, in Los Angeles. There's a big story in America. There's a fellow that owns a, a company called Viacom, and that is a giant, massive corporation that owns MTV and, and Comedy Central and VH1 and many things. He's a billionaire. He's 93 years old. His name is Sumner Redstone. He is. Uh, That's a big controversy now because he has a. Uh, he's had two girls. Girlfriends, uh, which is his right. Uh, two younger <laughs> ladies that uh, uh, ba- I know. One of them, uh, 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 their job uh, was uh, uh, to comfort him. Uh, basically, to uh, to uh, they li- moved into his house and uh, in the uh, early evening would uh, um, uh, remove their shirts and um, uh, uh, um, maybe uh, 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 snuggle each other, and then uh, and then. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say this as gently as possible, but uh, not much to him, not just, uh, you know, just a little something. And, uh, they got, over the last three years, each $80 million. And um, I would do that in a heartbeat t- to support <laughs> my family. I would. And For a lot less than $80 million. For this so, guy, Redwood.
1: Red, Red, Sumner, his name Redstone. Sumner Redstone. You read, Redstone. You
4: read about him. I heard uh, Check uh, uh, Vanity Fair. They have these great articles. Or The Hollywood Reporter. Or, you know, so, yeah. I, uh, is
1: that an only in L.A. story, though? Or do you think that could happen?
4: Cause, I wish it could happen anywhere. It, he lives very close to me. And, and he is... Uh, both those ladies have been uh, kicked out, so there is an opening, and uh, I would, uh, you know, I, I would send my wife over there. Although she she's offered, uh, but, but you know that's a that's a good job. You know, yeah. I've done. I worked at a meat plant for three years for seven dollars an hour. Let me tell you, for eighty million, you know that that sets well, up the family yeah. pretty good. Wow. And, uh, and and I consider that a humanitarian well, how effort. This,
1: like, how much does Kobe make?
4: Well, Kobe, <laughs> you know, he was making about thirty million in the last couple of years. Yeah, so like Kobe he wasn't one of earning those it, girls. but he was making it. Well, I suppose he was <laughs> earning it because he's selling a lot of tickets. But uh, yeah, I would do that, and uh, you know, I'm looking. I'm looking for those kind of ventures. Okay. So if you know anybody that. Uh, I I was reading about this. Here's another venture. Okay, your agent will call you, and he'll say, "Hey, do you have this?" Let's. And and I'm not making fun of any diseases. Would you have, let's say, mesothelioma? Right. And and because they pay millions of dollars to be their representative, and you check your yourself, and you're you're like, "Dang, I don't have that. I wish I did, because I could get two or three million dollars being the spokesman for this, or some horrible disease." You know, and, uh, you know, eventually I will have one of those horrible diseases and then support my family that way. But um, uh, sometimes uh, uh, the, you you could say, I have a good friend that has it. You know, those are the best commercials. Somebody I love has that. Yeah, we we've all been impacted. Yeah. By and even if you don't have somebody you love, you go on Craigslist and become friends with somebody that has... Um, you know, whatever, right. and then you, you could say, uh, somebody I love has that, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity. That's a marketplace that. now. Well, yeah. so, now
2: I feel like this is a really awkward segue, because <laughs> <laughs> we're reading, uh, I was reading a piece about you today. Yes, uh, you, you came up as a stand-up comedian yes. in, in Minneapolis, Yes, I, I did. And you got to know
4: y- yes. Prince. Yes, I did. I did, I came up, it was such a perfect time 1983 I moved to Minneapolis um, It was around the time They were filming uh, Purple Rain I worked at uh, First Avenue And uh, got to see them film it And uh, it was a very exciting time And, and got to know him a little bit And then in the 90's I uh, got to go out to Paisley Park And and play basketball with him And we considered moving to Roseanne Show There at their studios Because we really liked Minneapolis And he was a great basketball, by the way he was a gr- he was not a good basketball player, a great basketball player. He's and, small. Uh, he's like small. Yeah, five foot. I know, one, but was he it? was he had a great crossover. He he really liked playing basketball and he was very good. And he was about five foot one. Yeah. But he was very, is deceiving. So <laughs> right. got to know him, and he's a very funny guy, too. That's the thing. Uh, and so if you thought he was weird, it's because he, he wanted you to think he was weird. And then in the 2000s, uh, he came uh, to L.A. and played at the Hollywood Bowl. And, you know, he, he has his cane up there, and he starts pointing to beautiful women to come up on, on stage. And then he pointed to me. And pulled me out of the crowd to sing nineteen ninety nine with him. And I thought, this I've dreamt about this moment my whole life. This is I'm gonna kill this. And when he got to the chorus, he put the mic in front of me and I forgot the chorus of a song I've sung a thousand a million times. And so he pulled it back and then I I I whispered to him, okay. Next time, I got it. I got it. So he comes back around. He dances around me, and he puts the mic in front of my face. I got it this time. As I start saying it, he pulls the mic away and starts mocking me and dances around me. That happened six times. And it was so bad that in the parking lot after the kid that played Urkel, on whatever that show was, yeah, was mocking me, but it was still like one of the greatest moments of my life, and and uh, I really uh, uh, was uh, sat with the the reporter from the the paper here. Uh, we, I had an interview set up uh, from the Calgary Herald that, like, um, ten minutes after I found out that uh, Prince had died, with, you know, to do my comedy interview, uh, you know, it, it it definitely affected me because of. Uh, you know, the the history that I had and, and uh, I, uh, you know, he gave me a lot of joy and I was very sad and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, people... You know as they do and and it's the worst part of my business uh and uh being famous uh, i'm not comparing myself to him but uh, you know then they, they go through this period of, of respect and then the tabloids come in and then they want to dig deeper and they yeah. want to <laughs> you know, they start interviewing you know drug dealers who you know are always reputable <laughs> <laughs> they don't even use their own name and um you know, he, even uh, even if the the worst case scenario that he had a drug problem. Speaking as an addict, that just makes me more, feel more compassion for the man. Yeah. and uh, Well, there's this and no You guys so are the many, same age, I'm though, fertilizer. right? What's that? You guys the same age? He was a little older, and that's another thing. I, you know, uh, being an older dad, I got to stay young for as long as possible. So I always look to people that are a little older that are doing it. And 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 Madonna's older than me, and Prince and and Sharon Stone who's a friend of mine and and so I and I was like you know and Michael Jackson was older mm-hmm. and and I was like well they're older and they're doing it and uh so you know it's getting less and less <laughs> and, and uh so yeah we're yeah yeah it was uh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole
4: thing and now and, you know it's a. Uh, you know, and it's going to get, it's going to get seedier and seedier, but, but hopefully people, uh, you know, I have, I just have a ton of respect for what he
1: did. Well, and, you I, know. Well, what's, what's the, how do you guys talk about this in, 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 your circles? Like, cause this is a bit of shop talk, I think, but yeah. I mean, cause when, when a celebrity dies, then we get all kinds of stories from all kinds of different news agencies, but do you ever sit around the, the you know, the <laughs> table and joke? About the what the news story obituary is going to look like when it's your turn to go. Like when I die, no one's going well, to talk yeah. about it.
4: We have nobody. I, I will. I well, will. thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, I think it, you know. It, once you have kids, it puts a different spin on it because you know when, when you don't have kids, who cares? But who cares how you live your you live your life a little different too. But once you have kids, then you got. The, More responsibility, like, you know, you gotta, you gotta do things a little differently.
1: Um, But like David Chappelle's got that bit about. don't when you call nine one one like you got to remember they're gonna play that. Oh, I always <laughs> when you call nine one one like so if they kill you like don't yeah. But how does he how does he tell the joke? He's like, uh, they're they're on my you gotta get here they're on my lawn. I just wet my pants. Yeah <laughs> like, yeah whatever it is. Yeah I uh
4: uh are a long time ago uh, in a marriage um we uh my ex wife and I were paid ten million dollars to lose twenty pounds by. Uh, uh, a very reputable diet person. <laughs> and uh, we w- we were having trouble losing 20 pounds, shockingly, for $10 million. <laughs> and we decided to, amputate to, to tough love each other. Yeah. And I walked into the kitchen the first day, and she was eating a giant bag of Jenny Craig chocolate chip cookies. And I crushed a bag of cookies. This is kind of a famous story. You could Google it. Because I was like her sponsor, I was helping her, and it must have scared her because it was next to the block of wood with all the knives in it. And she pulled a knife out, and I was like, "Hey, you're not gonna." And then she stabbed me, and so, but uh, but she felt she felt that. But uh, and then I thought, what do normal people do? Do they call nine one one? And uh, my first reaction to being stabbed was, "Honey." You just screwed up my skitty shirt. This is my <laughs> last skitty, the black short sleeve double X polo they make like this. Anyway, I, I, I don't want to play. I know they play the calls on the news, and, and, and you know the 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 call is, hey, this is Tom Arnold you know, Rosie was eating a big bag of Jenny Craig chocolate chip cookies. I'm like her sponsor. Anyway, she stabbed me. She screwed up my skinny shirt, and uh, and then they'd hang up on me. And, uh, you know, so we handled it in-house, and, and uh, had somebody come over and stitch me up a little bit. And by the way, I'm in Calgary. I'm, sh- I'm sure there's probably 20% of the men here that have been stabbed by their wife at one time or another. So, uh, you know, it, it, it
2: happens. <laughs> Let's talk about what we're going to see from you this weekend because you've been doing stand-up for, you know, 30-plus yes, years. But yes. I'm guessing where you're at today, yeah. you're in a much different place. It's, it's a much yeah. different kind of act.
4: Yes. Well, you know, I, I, I got into it. You know, I, I worked for, uh, I grew up in a Etubo, Iowa, and and I, and I knew I wanted to get out of there. I, I worked at the meatpacking plant for three years so I could save enough money to go to college at the University of Iowa because I knew they had a, an open bike stage there. And, you know, that led to me meeting some comics from Minneapolis, and immediately I threw my clothes in a trash bag and got on a bus and went to Minneapolis and, and thought I had a job there. They said I had a job, but it was for one weekend for $15. So I had to go to the nearest bar and become a bouncer. And, and, uh, <laughs> but I loved it, and I, it. I thought it was an excuse to party. You know, and I partied hard, very hard in the eighties. And uh you know, but I was a single guy living with six other guys and uh you know, now uh, my my act is very personal. Uh a lot of things have happened. There's a lot of things people know about mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh except I was there. Uh and uh and so I, I, I talk very honestly about uh a lot of things and they're they're ridiculous. And uh I've made some ridiculous mistakes and uh and, uh, but uh, things have turned out uh, okay and uh, pretty well. Uh, but,
1: uh, well, you made it you to know, Calgary. That's a good yeah. sign. Yeah.
4: And, you know, people, you know, I mean, people pay and come out and see you perform and it, it, they have to get babysitters. It's such an honor that the great thing about stand up is no matter what's going on in your life, uh, uh, your wife's mad at you or your, you didn't get this movie or whatever, it doesn't matter. For the next 75 minutes, I have to entertain these people and they have to, they deserve to laugh because it's, that's important in this day and age. And, uh, and it, it, you have to have a connection with these guys. And, uh, and then after the show, I, I literally take a picture with everybody. And it's really, I, you know, I sell these t shirts because I have this famous heart cap for kids that's, you know, that takes all these kids from North America. That's a really well known thing. But I, but I, 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 I take pictures with everybody, whether they buy a shirt or not. But it's really for me because then I get a moment with people and people will say, um, Oh, I like this movie, or what's this actor like? Or when I was a kid, this happened to me because uh, I've talked about it. Or you know, I'm struggling with this thing, and so you have real moments with real people that you never would get in on a soundstage or mm-hmm. you know in L. A. And uh, it, it's I always feel better <laughs> for the some reason uh-huh. you know that's cool man fridays are tough because it's two it's 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 interviews and then it's two shows and you get it late thursday and i'm like how am i gonna make it through this and then but at the end of the night i'm like it's hard to sleep because it's so fun
1: cool man we'll kill it at the thank you guys. Uh, at the lab shop this weekend tom thank thanks you for, guys very much thanks for coming in well
4: there you go tom
2: arnold's The Laugh Shop, uh, the Blackfoot Inn. He's also uh, appearing uh, right now at season ten of Trailer Park Boys on Netflix. Gonna check that out. Uh, We gotta take a break here, though. Back to wrap things up right after this.
0: Bruce Kenyon on hand. We're at the Foothills Hospital Home Lottery Show Home. Today's the deadline. Okay, you got to get your tickets by midnight. Heard Roger and Rob talking about odds with Leicester City a couple of minutes ago. Uh, your odds of winning here are really, really good when you compare them to lotteries. For instance, to take fifty add on, your take's going to come out about uh, between seven and eight hundred thousand. Your chance of winning that are one in two hundred and fifty thousand. I know that sounds high, but six forty nine is one in fourteen million. Your chances of winning the house are one in one hundred and forty seven thousand. You can't afford not to buy a ticket with those kind of odds. There's over 7,500 prizes to be won. You got a one in 20 chance of winning something, but you got to have your ticket to win, and you got to have your ticket by midnight tonight. Easiest way to do it is go to Foothills Hospital Home com. That's Foothills Hospital Home com. The show Home in Mahogany opening this afternoon, or you can go to the websites get your tickets before midnight. I'm Bruce Kenyon on News Talk 770.
1: Roger Kincaid and Rob Breckenridge. weekdays starting at 9:30 a.m. on News Talk 770 Calgary.